Uh, welcome. I hope that you had an excellent holiday season. Uh, we really did. It was just multivaried, and it was a lot of different kinds of things, a full array. Our, our cup ran over, and there was all kinds of different things that happened. My daughter and her fiancé came back, and so we got to be with them some, and we got to do other things that were special between with just Julie and I, and it just really was a very rich time, and I hope that that's what it was for you, okay? If not, I love you, and you know what I mean? We're going to get there, Okay? to where all of these things that God wants us to celebrate are the fullness of what he wants. Now, in that same vein, in that same spirit, I want to say something. Serenity Dillaway preached a sermon last week that was phenomenal. I know a lot of people were gone. It's on the website. It's on Vimeo. It's everywhere. You just, just search it, and, and you will find an excellent talk that really sets the year upright. And I'm actually going to steal and borrow some of her concepts today because it's such a nice flow into what we're doing today. At the end of her message, I said something. And what I said was is that I believe that the Lord is doing something with us. I might be just a little hot. I can't figure out where the echo is, but somehow I'm getting a little bit of an auditorium echo. Thank you. That's better. Or I think. Anyway. But, but what happened was is that... Is that what I said was, is I feel like that the Lord is taking us on a journey. Now, he's always taking us on a journey. But I even had a sense while she was speaking, and it's really in a different way, but I had a sense of the Lord saying, this is what I'm going to be doing with you throughout this next year. And in particular, to be more clear about what that is, it has to do with faith. Now, faith, let me say, is a big word, right? Faith means all kinds of different things, salvation and, and just believing God and all kinds of But I want to use it in a very particular sense right now. I wanna, what I'm talking about is there's some things that you believe will happen in the world so much so that it doesn't take any faith to believe for them at all, right? Like, like you know, uh, if you have a job, the likelihood is, is that when you show up at work tomorrow, you're still going to have a job. You don't have to have faith that there's going to be a job. You just know that that's true. You're going to go. It's going to be there, and you're going to have a job. And, you know, there's probably one person that it's not going to happen for. I really love you. Please talk to me. We'll go to lunch. Okay? But, but the point is, is we don't, we don't believe for things that we already see. Right? What we are needing to believe for is things that, now watch this. This is very, really important. There's this whole category of things in the world that we know God is capable of doing. We know that he can heal. But make me the instrument of that healing? That's an entirely different game. I know that God can heal you. Have God come and tell me that I'm supposed to do something and say something to you and I don't know that you're going to get healed? Now that takes faith. See what I mean? That I have to step up. I have to do something. Now, I'm going to do something here. I, I got to meet this really wonderful guy. It's Christy Davy's dad. Andy and Christy Davy are uh, fairly new here. They come from Australia. He's working at Amazon. Um, they moved here from the Gold Coast, where Justine's actually from. And they've become a really important part of our body already. And one of the things they did, I don't, where are you, Malcolm? Go ahead, Adam. Okay, Malcolm, there he is, okay? So his name is Malcolm Archer, and this is Christy Davy's dad. And the thing is, he was a, he's a pastor, still is, and has been for many, many years. And at the beginning, at this Tuesday, we went to breakfast, and at the beginning of our breakfast, he told me a story, and I went, man, this is perfect for what I think God's trying to do with us. Because it not only tells us what God can do, which is going to be a stretch for you. 
Honestly, if you'll, if you'll really listen to what he's saying happened, and it did happen, it's going to be a stretch. God really does that. But then listen to the other part, which is what his reaction was, God calling him to do something about it. So Malcolm, go ahead. Well, good morning, everybody. This story happened quite a number of years ago. Um, we were pastoring a church on the Gold Coast in Australia, and we had a lady in our church. Her name was Cheryl. She was 34 years old, and she was a quadriplegic. She had been shot by a disgruntled ex-boyfriend. A 22 bullet went into her neck and destroyed quite a bit of her spinal cord. And she had no motor nerve operation from the neck down except for a little bit of movement in her right hand that operated the joystick on her electric wheelchair. And we're coming to the conclusion of this particular Sunday morning service and God spoke to me and said, I want you to get Cheryl out of the wheelchair. Well, you know, this great man of faith and, and, uh, and obedience started to question God. Uh, God, could we put it off till next week? You know, next week will be better. After all, it's getting late and everybody wants to get home for lunch. And uh, all God kept on saying said, get Cheryl out of the wheelchair. Now, you know, he didn't give me a little job like a pimple or a rash. It was a quadriplegic, get her out of the wheelchair. And uh, eventually I gave in to God, which was a good thing. I went down and I said to Cheryl, Cheryl, how would you like to get out of the wheelchair? She just looked at me with big eyes and the mouth dropped open. She never said a word. And I, uh, I just simply just knelt down in front of her and prayed and said, God, I speak to these legs, to, I command them to walk in Jesus' name. And uh, I said, now rise in Jesus' name and nothing happened. So I had two of our ushers grab a hold of one under each arm and started to walk her across the front of the church. And I was commanding these legs, walk in Jesus' name, walk in Jesus' name. And they took her for a drag. Her legs were just being dragging behind. <laughs> and they did this two or three times. And, of course, doubt starts to arise inside of you. I kept on commanding these legs to walk. And eventually she picked up one foot and put it down. Then the other foot. She kept on walking. She, she was walking with aid of somebody helping her. And after probably 20 minutes, we got her sit down because she was getting very tired. And uh, we considered God had done quite a miraculous work. Until next Sunday, she walked into church with a walker because she had no balance. And it was possibly, and I'm guessing here, 12 months, maybe 18 months later, I had the privilege of conducting her marriage ceremony. And she walked down the aisle on her father's arm. And we just rejoiced in that because God yeah. did a great work. Yeah. Amen. I love that whoever started clapping started clapping. Thank you, because it deserves that. And there's a reason why it deserves that, because there's a part of us that knows that these stories in the Bible are true. And then there's that other part of us that when God says, get her out of the wheelchair, you're saying next week's better. <laughs> and that when, he's, when they're dragging her, I love the way he puts it, they drug her across the stage a couple of times, right? When, when you're dragging and you're going, what now? What am I supposed to do, Right? This is real. This is important. May I say, God knows that we're struggling with this. Hey, let's just be real clear about this, right? I want you to be, okay, you go to work tomorrow, and there's somebody there with some, you know, thing that has hindered them, that has crippled them in some, or handicapped them in some fashion, right? And God tells you to do something about it. What are you going to do? 
honestly, I, I, I'm, this is a really great body. So there's actually some people in here that would do that. And then there's all the rest of us that would think about that and pray and wonder and try and figure it out, and the moment would pass. That's just the truth. I think that God wants to take us on a journey this year. I think he wants to take us on a journey to get us to where when he says these kinds of things, our first thought is not fear. I, I have to tell you, if I had to sum up what I think God is trying to do with us this year, it, it looks like this. I, I, don't, I love that photo. Let your faith be bigger than your fear. I love the guy. Look at that clear eyes. How's the Friday Night Lights things? Clear eyes, strong heart, can't fail, whatever that is. But look at, look at his eyes. He's just like set. The guy on the right is my favorite, though. Look at him. That's the way he's dressed up. It's hilarious. But the point is, is I think that this is what God's trying to do. Let your faith become bigger than your fear. Now, here's what I did. I, when I said that last week, because it happened during the sermon that God was talking to me. I actually was listening to Serenity, but okay. But the point is, is that as I went along this path, I felt like, and I went and I started looking in Luke and I started saying, is it true? Is this really what you're going to be doing? And I went and I saw two things, which is, yes, very definitely. This, this stuff about faith is very much there. But very interestingly, what's also there is other stuff. And all of a sudden I started seeing that when God is trying to get us to move into these areas, he does so very graciously. He does so lovingly. How do you climb a mountain that's too big for you to climb? One foot at a time, right? And then all of a sudden, one day you're at the top of it, and you're going, how did I get here? Because when I looked at it, it seemed impossible for me to get there. But one step at a time, 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 all of a sudden you find yourself in an entirely new place. Now, if we don't do that, what's the, what's the problem? Well, first of all, there's people that he wants to touch that who knows whether he's going to touch them or not if you don't because it was you that he wanted to touch them through, right? And secondly, what does that mean for you? In fact, we're going to see something in the sermon today about the cost of not responding that is enormous enough that I think you're going to start saying, better that I, better that I encounter the risk, take the risk, and move forward. This is where we're going today. This is where we're going this year. I'm really excited about this sermon. Pray that what God wants to say, not what I want to say, pray that what God wants to say is what gets said here. Zach, you're the guy who's praying. Lift up another church too. Father God, we come before you in Jesus' name. Uh, we're grateful for this body and uh, the body all over the world that does uh, your works. I specifically want to pray for Canon White's ministry Amen. in the most difficult areas uh, on the globe, uh, especially for Christians and for our brothers and sisters there who are suffering. And uh, we corporately want to ask for a hedge of protection and that uh, the blood of Christ would cover them. And that Thank those you. who uh, look on um, these Christians would see something in them that is just different. Thank you, Lord. Something that they can look to and, and uh, even convert to. And so we bring this to you in Jesus' name, and we pray that Pastor Kurt would deliver this sermon uh, through your spirit, that uh, what we listen to would be your message, God. Amen. And uh, we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Zach. Great prayer. Now, all of this is part of our series Empowered, everything we've been doing, even though we took the moniker off of it just to give you a break during December. But really, Empowered is what we're doing and what we've been doing and what we will be doing until we're actually empowered. Is that okay? All right? And we're going to try and keep it interesting and not totally boring, but we're going to keep going until it's actually true in our lives. Is that all right with you? Because that's what I think I need to be, and that's what I think God is trying to make all of us. Okay, so the bottom line is really simply for those who don't know what empowered is, it's real simple. It's the Holy Spirit being able to move through you in such fullness that God can do anything he wants to do through you. The fact is, is that we're less than perfect vessels of his presence. We're less than perfect channels of his presence. And so we muddy up the water and we break it up and we hinder and we do all kinds of things. And what God is trying to get us to do is, is to just be obedient, to just be humble, to be before him so that he can do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it, period. Does that sound like a good deal? Because that's what we're trying to do. That's all it means. Now, with that in mind, the story that we left off in in November was the transfiguration where three of the disciples got to see Jesus turn into light essentially be more of the God that he is when he's seen in his incarnation. Now, they come down from the mountain, and what happens is, after they come down, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him and making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. And I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said, You faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? Then he said to the man, so you see who he's talking about to the you there? It's the disciples. He says to the man, bring your son here. As the boy comes forward, the demon knocks him to the ground, throws him into a violent convulsion, but Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. And then he gave him back to his father. By the way, rebuked the evil spirit and healed. I want to propose to you that those are not necessarily the same thing. He might be saying two different things here. I'll explain that in a little bit. But rebuked the evil spirit and healed him, then gave him back to his father. Now, if I were to ask you, what's the point of this passage? What's the point of this little story? For Luke to include this here and now, what's the point? Why did he do this? What's the emphasis on? Where does the highlighting go on, on this passage? Go ahead. Uh, is it really everybody's still in a, a doldrum, a coma, food coma from the holiday? So... <laughs> No responses. It's normally a little livelier, okay? So somebody, call it out. What's the point of this passage? Right, right. Now because, thank you. Now because of what we're doing, because of my introduction, it was really clear about that. If I asked that without that introduction, there might be some people that would say, well, it's about demon possession and being, being delivered and that God delivers people and so on. Now I want to just say, by this point in time, the disciples have seen that happen hundreds if not thousands of times. Big crowds, everybody gets healed, demon possession too, right? So the fact of the matter is that's not anything new. What is new? Can I just tell you? Find me a place in the Bible where Jesus rebukes his disciples stronger than this. There's actually a few that you could argue, just a couple. But this is a pretty strong rebuke, right? We need to stop for a second and say, remember, remember it's not that we're, we're reading it as how did Jesus disciple his disciples, because we figure that we're disciples, and he's trying to disciple us too. So when you read that, don't just read that he said to the disciples, the 12, you faithless and corrupt people. Read that he's saying to you, you faithless and corrupt people, how long am I going to have to hang around? Okay? 
All right? Now, is that, okay? is that okay to do on the first weekend of the year? <laughs> it, it, I'm going to make it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work with this a little bit because I want you to see something about it. So I need to deconstruct, need to do a little backstory on it. Watch. First thing, okay, two primary things, but first thing. What are the disciples looking for in Jesus, the Messiah? What are they looking for? A deliverer. They're looking for somebody to set them free from Roman oppression. Ever since they got back from the exile in Babylon, they have actually been under the rule of one empire or another, and they have been under Rome now for hundreds of years, a couple hundred, okay? So, and the Romans were really good at keeping people down on the farm. They were really good at iron fisting, okay? I, being an iron fist. And the point is, you faithless and corrupt people, they, sorry, they were really good at being in a way that the people hated them. The Israelites hated the Romans. But the Romans were so feared that there was nothing that they could do about it. And what they're looking for in a Messiah is, all the time in the Old Testament, how's the story go? A small motley tribe whom God anoints, particularly the leader of whom God anoints, a Moses or a David or whoever, right? God anoints a leader, rallies the motley crew, and the motley crew overcomes the much superior power, in fact, begins to rule them. So what the disciples are looking for in the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Anointed One, is the one that God's going to anoint, and they just saw him turn into light. So they're thinking he's the anointed one, and he's the one who's going to lead us out from under Roman oppression, make us the, the overlords and them the unders, and so on, right? This is what's happening. This is what they're expecting, right? Now watch what Jesus does with that expectation, okay? He does this. He calls them a faithless and corrupt people, and then he does this. Now watch. Awe gripped the people as they saw the majestic display of God's power, the, the, the healing and the deliverance of this young boy. Now, but now watch this. Next thing he does. While everyone was still marveling at what he was doing, he turns to the disciples and he tells them something privately. Jesus said to his disciples, listen to me and remember what I say. Remember is going to be an important word. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hand of his enemies. No, you're the victor over your enemies. You can't be the one that gets betrayed. You can't go into, they can't overcome you. This doesn't make any sense. They didn't even know what he meant. It's significant, it was hidden from them. They couldn't understand it. They were even afraid to ask him about it. See what I mean? We have, watch, we, not just them, we. We have an expectation about how life is going to go. Has it gone that way for anybody? Here's the funny thing about us. Life never goes the way they thought it was going to go, but we think tomorrow is going to go the way we think it's going to go. <laughs> right? But life doesn't go that way. It goes its own course for its own reasons, namely God leading you on a journey. And so what's happening here is, is God is saying, you have this expectation of what's going to happen with me, and it isn't going to happen the way you think. Now watch, if you are a, a, a disciple of Jesus, 
and you're following him, and you think he's going to be the king that overcomes the Romans, what is your orientation to what your job is? It's be a good lieutenant. He's the anointed one. He's the king. He's the important guy in all this equation. But I am going to be used by him, and his anointing is going to cover me too. But I just need to learn how to be a good lieutenant in whatever it is that he's doing because he's the one who's leading us. But what happens if he's not the one that's going to be leading you? What happens if he's going to die on a cross? And you're going to be here without him. Now what kind of learning do you have to do? It's not about being a good, it's not about being a good lieutenant anymore, is it? It's about this college and master's and doctorate program we've been talking about. We've been saying that Luke 1 through 8, really 4 through 8, is college level for the disciples. What's college in an ideal setting? We understand that college becomes all kinds of funky things in today's world because we're all broken, right? But here's what college is in the ideal sense. No matter how you grow up, if, you're, if your parents exposed you to all kinds of wonderful things in the world, or if you didn't do anything but live in your house, in your hometown, and you never even got on an airplane or traveled anywhere, whether you lived either one of those lives, the truth is either one of those still has a fairly narrow focus because it's within the culture of your parents. See, and that's what you're learning. And college is that time when you're moving out of your house and you're discovering, oh my gosh, the world is so much bigger than what I knew. In that culture, I was learning certain things and I had certain protection. I was watching things happen, but I'm protected. And now, all of a sudden, it's you. It's that Pinocchio and Geppetto story that I told before Christmas. It's Pinocchio discovering, oh my gosh, look at the world, the wonderful, wide, colorful world. Right? And there's temptations, and there's problems, and there's wonderful things, and there's all kinds of things. And what there really is is a journey that God has every person on in an individualized, uniquely fingerprinted fashion where every crook and cranny, every turn and every comeback and everything is uniquely designed in order to build you into him, into being like him. So the point is, is that's what co college is this first step in that of three. The first step being you, you get there and all of a sudden you're, you're not under your parents anymore. You are technically, but you're not physically. There's all of this life that's happening. Then there's all these professors and they're teaching you things that are, that are just expanding, hopefully, your mind. They're expanding your understanding. It's wonderful. You're learning. They're teaching you things. They're doing and showing and you're learning things about biology and physics and, and literature and everything. See? The whole gambit of what college can do. But then there comes a time at which you're done with seeing and it's time to start doing. Now that's what going from college to master's is all about. In your master's program, it, which whether it be technically masters in college or whether it be going into life, even if you don't go back to graduate school after college, you go out into the world and you're usually apprenticed to some degree, right? You're thrown into a situation that's bigger than you, but there's somebody that's helping you figure out what this is and you're learning and growing, but you're the one that's doing and you're learning as you do. That's not college. College is somebody else is doing and showing you what's possible, showing you how much bigger the world is. Now you're starting to do in the world. That's master's level. Jesus is with the disciples, and they're doing things, and he's walking them through how to do these things. But they're doing them. 
Now, doctrine, of course, comes when Jesus is ascended, and now all of a sudden you're on your own, and now you're the one who's doing, and now you're supposed to be raising up new people into that same journey. See what I mean? You're supposed to be helping other people along and helping them and teach them things, show them things like Jesus did, and then let them do it and apprentice them, and then let them go on their own so that they can raise up other people, disciples that make disciples. That's what he's doing with us. Okay? Got the journey? So the point is, is what we've got right here is, is that we've got, these guys are going on a journey. Now what I said was, as I said, if you're just trying to be a lieutenant, all this, all this college masters and doctorate thing isn't important, is it? I mean, it's there, kind of, but, you know, it's just a different thing than if you're, if he's not going to be here and you're the one that it's on now. That takes it to an entirely different level, doesn't it, of what you have to learn. Uh, let me say it plainly why this is so important for me to spend a little time on. You can think that because of the graciousness of God, the things that he's trying to lead you into, if I learn them, I learn them. If I don't learn them, it's okay. He still loves me and it'll be okay because he'll keep working with me. Now that's true, but it's not true too. What is true is, is that there comes a time at which he expects you to know certain things. And if you don't know them, it's to your harm and to others' loss that you don't know them. You have to be growing. You can go through college and not learn a thing. That's not good. Right? Or you can go through college and you can learn quite a bit so that when it comes time for you to start doing, you're actually equipped to do and learn. Right? So this is what he's trying to do with us. And this year is this transitional year as far as I'm concerned. I think it'll be a year. And a year's a long time. And if you're scared about, I just don't want to be somebody who lays hands on people and see them get healed. I'm just freaked out about that. You know what? After a year of God doing things inch by inch, step by step, you'll feel very differently about this at the end of the year than you do now. That's just true. Right? Now, so what we're looking at is, is that we're looking at what Jesus calls them as faithless and corrupt. I'm going to change that wording just a little bit to bring something out for you. You're faithless because you're corrupt. What does corrupt mean? Broken. The way that you were made to work isn't working, so you're not working right, so you're not actually growing in faith. See it? There's something broken in you. You're corrupted, so you're not growing. See it? Now, this is a word. I'm going to start talking about something that, that Serenity talked about last week, and I'm going to take a little time because I'm hoping that this word and this concept that we're talking about is going to become a second nature way for you to see the things that God is doing in your life. Okay? Uh, you know that word splunk nitsamai? How many people in this word, when I say splunk nitsamai, you know roughly what that means in this congregation? Now, if you're new here, you don't. Why? Because it's some stupid Greek word, and who cares? But if you've been here for a long time, it becomes a shorthand way of us saying something. When you see somebody that's in need, the way that Jesus responded was, splunk nitsamai, which means that his guts turned over for the pain of the need that they had. And so filled with compassion is how we translate it. He would reach out and touch. And what I want to say is, is we should know that by now if you come here. We, you should know that when you see somebody in pain, his first reaction is empathy. He wants your first reaction not to be analytics, but to be empathetic, to feel the pain that they're feeling. Just as their guts are turning, your gut should turn. Splunk needs am I. That becomes a shorthand way of saying, have a heart. Feel it. 
because then you'll be responding from the right place. See it? Well, I want us to come to the same thing with this word tetrachromat. Okay? Tetra means four, and chrome means color. So it means four colors. Now, as Serenity explained last week, I'm going to go fairly quickly. If you want a better definition of it, go back to her sermon. Okay? But bottom line is she explained to us that in the eye, there are, see those two white, grayish type things? Those are the rods, and the rods, all they pick up is color. That's all they do. I mean, no, excuse me, is light and dark. So they don't see any color. They just see whether there's light there or not, so it's shades of gray, right? But then you've got a red, a green, and a blue. If you're colorblind, you, one of those doesn't, you might have it, and it doesn't function, or you don't have it, right? But the point is, is if you have red, green, and blue, when you look at, say, yellow and that eye dot, what happens is, is, that, is that the way that your brain is interpreting the color is that the red thing is looking at that color yellow, and it's saying, is there any hue of red and yellow? And the answer is there actually is. But it's very, 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 very slight. It depends on the shade of yellow, right? And we see millions of shade because of these three, way these three things interact. Then the green one looks in there and it says, is there any shade of green? And it turns out there is quite a lot of green and yellow. There is a thing that our eye is picking up that's saying there's a hue of green that I'm getting, and then the blue, and it goes, and there's a hue of blue that I'm getting, and the two of those together are reading it as being yellow. You see what I'm saying? The three cones pick up whatever hues are there, and they read this way. Well, now, here's the truth. Because we only have three cones, we, because we have three cones, we can see millions of colors. But we do know that we only see a very small part of what we call the light spectrum, right? Because our eyes do not see what, say, other animals see, right? You know, butterflies, they look a certain way to us, but there's birds that have a different color, have a different cone, and when they see that butterfly, they see an entirely different look than we do because they're picking up entirely different colors that our eye doesn't even see. Now, what happens is, is we've discovered that there's three or four people in the world right now that actually have a fourth cone, and that fourth cone is not duplicating one of those colors. It's actually picking up another color. See it? Now, one of the ways you can tell if you touch a chromat, by the way, if you see the number in this, raise your hand right now, okay? Because... And what she pointed out was there is a number in each one of those. And if you're a tetrachromat, in at least one of those circles, you will see a number in there. You know what I'm talking about, those colored dots, and then you'll see a number. If you, and if you're colorblind, you can tell that way. But this is only tetrachromat. Only, is there anybody in here that can see a number in there? Are you serious? What's the number? What's that? Eight and 23? Maybe this is not as rare as we thought. I don't see any color in there at all. It's a different color? A number that's clearly a different color in those, red, in those dots. I'm going to stick with the story right now. But may I recommend if you see a, if you see a number in there, go get tested. Okay, because there really are very few people that have it. There really are just a few. And they will see that as a distinct color. In fact, let me give you another way of illustrating this. Okay, here's a rainbow. Now, we see what we call the primary colors in there instantly. Red, yellow, blue. Okay, now you can see green. 
we can all see green, right? Because that's yellow and blue together. We can see the green where it fades in. And between the red and the yellow and this one, we can't see it. But if you saw a better one, you might see a little orange. But really what we see is, we see in a rainbow, we see about five colors. And we might be able to see some shades of color. Here, well, I'll show you this in a sec, but we might be able to see this. In, but, you, but a tetrachromat sees, just like we see clearly red, yellow, blue, and we can see green pretty clearly, a tetrachromat sees just as clearly as you see those four or five colors, they see ten. Because there are ten colors in there. It's just that we don't have a cone to pick up what those are. You see it? That we see millions of color, a tetrachromat sees hundreds of millions of colors in the world, in everything, okay? Now, I'm showing you this. I just want to show you. You'll see several colors in this one. It's just a cool shot as I was looking for a rainbow picture. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's just, I don't know what I like about that so much, but I sure like that, okay? The, the point that I'm trying to do, here's what she did with it. She uses an analogy, a metaphor, and the analogy is this. In the world, all of us see three, we have three cones that see the world, right? Some of us don't have all three, but most of us have the three, and we see the world the way that we all think the world is. But the fact of the matter is the Bible makes it clear that there's a, another hue, another color, another thing that is happening right here. When, when God says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he doesn't mean God is in heaven way up there. He means right now around us there's a spiritual dimension and it's real. And if your eye could see it, you would see it as clearly as we see each other sitting here. In fact, there's a biblical story that goes with this, isn't there? There's several, actually, but here's one, really good one. I love this one. Elijah is a prophet. There's a king that is trying to make plans to overtake the Israelites. Elijah keeps hearing what the king is saying in his most secret conversations and tells the Israelite king what he's going to do, and so he's always one step ahead of this guy. This guy gets frustrated. He said, how's this happening? His advisors come, and they say, well, there's this guy who hears what you say, even in your bedroom, and then he tells the king of Israel, and then they respond. And so he says, fine, go get him, right? So he does. Makes sense, right? So he goes and gets him. Now the servant, the servant gets up early and he goes out. He discovers an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. This is that other king, right? And what happens is he, he freaks out. Oh, master, what are we to do? And we know that he's freaking out because what Elijah says is don't be afraid. Now watch what he says. For those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Now listen to how he says it. Elijah prayed and said, Lord, please open his eyes. He looked and saw and that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. In other words, there was this army that was surrounding them. But when the servant saw, he saw that there was a whole other army that was surrounding that army. <laughs> See? So this would be one of those moments where that fourth cone kicked in. Now, I don't know how you want to think about it. I, it's, an, it's a metaphor and analogy, so there's no correct way to think about it. But here's what I want us to realize. Whether you have that cone already, and I would, I would propose that in some sense, everybody is born with the ability to see into the spiritual realm, to see the things that God is doing and the way that he has colored this world, the way his hue in the world, right? But that what happens is, is that when you don't know God, it isn't active. 
It's a, it's a receptor that isn't connected to anything because there's nothing to connect to. And that when you get born again, there's suddenly another part of you that suddenly starts seeing with that eye. Now, we have a particularly dramatic example in the Elijah thing where it was clear. But I want to propose to you that most of the time, this is more subtle than that, but it is still quite marked. And what I mean by that is this. What is the, the most famous song in the history of the world is Amazing Grace. It's the most sung, most played, most recorded, most, most imitated, most everything. It's Amazing Grace. It's like it sells so many more songs that they don't even rank it. Okay? Because it's like the Bible. The Bible sells more books than any of the books, but most of the other top 100 even combined every single year. So they don't even rank it because it, it would just blow the ratings out. See? But the bottom line is, is Amazing Grace. And what's, what's the most famous line in there? I was blind and now I see. Now, somebody who doesn't know the Lord hears that, and they say, that doesn't make any sense to me. What do you mean you were blind and now you see? That's just metaphor. That's just flowery, poetic language. But here's why that's such a popular song to Christians. That's what it's like, isn't it? It's like, I was blind, and then I got saved, and he did something in me, and all of a sudden, I see stuff. <laughs> and I don't mean I see them like these chariots of fire. It's I see a hue in the world. I see another layer in the world that I didn't know was there before. And it, it would be as impossible for me to act about the world as if that wasn't there as it was previously to act as if it was there and it wasn't. I totally blew your mind on that. But here's what I mean. Before that fourth cone is kicked in, it's not possible to see the world as if you had one. Right? But after it kicks in, it's as impossible to see the world without it as it was not possible to see it when, you, when it wasn't kicked in. You see it? When you see it, you see it. And that's why, you know, you explain and you do apologetics to people that don't know the Lord, and you, you talk about this and you talk about that and everything else, but really what you want to do is you want to just grab them and go, I want you to see what I see. Because <laughs> once you see what I see, then you're going to know what I know, and then you're going to be like I am, which is to know Him. Right? And that's what I want for you, because I didn't see it either, and now I do, and it's cool. <laughs> It's life-changing. Changes everything. Now, what Serenity said last week, which was brilliant, please watch it. Started off the year perfectly. What she said was, if you don't rest, then what will happen is the busyness, the gunk, the pollution of the world will gradually clog up, even if you've been born again. It'll gradually clog up that fourth cone, and you will not see that color and hue in the world well. But if you rest, if you take account of God, if you look for God in it, if you're doing what he says, if you're obeying him, and this is why it's not just about rest, and she knew this, but this is why I'm taking this and saying it's such an important concept. It's not just rest, it's in everything. And I want to propose to you that this cone is a little bit like a muscle or anything else that either you use it or you lose it. If you use it, it gets better. It gets stronger. You can see it more. If you don't use it, it gets harder and harder to see with it. Do you see this? Now, I just want to say, I think this is a very compelling way to think about our walk with Christ. If you obey him, if when he says, get her out of the wheelchair, if you hadn't done that, how would you look at God, life, miracles in the world? Completely differently. Because it, because it didn't happen. See? But because you were willing to take the risk... All of a sudden, you're looking and you're going, but, but, 
but, but, but look. <laughs> See, I know that this happens. I'm moving in this. And the more you move in it, the more you see. And the more you see, the more you want to move in it. And the more that you go into God, the more that you care, don't care at all about the world. The more you want to see more and more with that color. It doesn't mean you don't have to still see the world properly. You can't just have rose-colored lenses. But boy, you do want to have that other one, and you want it to be getting stronger and stronger and stronger so that you see the things that God sees in the way that God sees them so that you actually become more like him so that you actually do obey him, so that you actually do grow in him like this. Do you see it? What a powerful analogy. So what we're calling this is tetrachrome, tetrachromats, right? And what I want us to see is, is that when he says you faithless and corrupt people, here's what he's saying. That cone I gave you to see, it isn't working. It's gotten broken. It's, you're corrupted from what I intended you to be. And because of that, you don't see me. You don't take the risk. You don't step out. You don't do these things. And you're not without faith. Do you see it? When he's saying faith is incorrupt, it's, he's accurate, as he, Jesus tends to be. He's saying there's something wrong with you. And I need you to get it right. Let me just give you two examples of where we can get this. But, but look at tetrachromats. What I'm really proposing to you is, is God saying to us, be tetrachromats? See with that fourth cone. Start seeing all that I'm doing. I want to propose to you saying, yeah. I want you to become tetrachromats. Now here, I'm going to give you one example that's really two different ones, and you'll see what I mean by that. But it's, it's the same thing, but I want you to see something. When you heard the story this morning about the young boy, and you read it out of the Bible, you realize that when Jesus said, get out of him and delivered him from the demon, you realize that there was a demon and all that kind of stuff, right? But now, let's say you walk out the door of this church, and while you're walking out the door of this church, somebody falls down with an epileptic, epileptic fit. Now, is your first thought, you now, not the story, is your first thought, oh, he has a demon? Your first thought is he has epilepsy, right, or she. But now watch. We say the twain never meet, the medical and the spiritual. Because that's how we see the world in our reduced three-cone way of seeing it. Because we don't see the hue that is cast on the fall of the world. Let me make this clear. Luke, the author of this book, is a doctor. Epilepsy was a well-known condition way before that. Here's what we think in our modern minds. We think they were just silly old people and they didn't know anything about medicine, so they didn't realize that epilepsy, which looks like you could be possessed, was just a biological condition, so they were stupid. But you do realize that Luke knew what epilepsy was. He was a doctor and it was a well-known condition. In fact, in the Bible, several different places it talks about epileptics. One of them is really remarkable because then the news about him spreads throughout Syria. They bring to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases, intense pains. The demon possessed the epileptics. <laughs> See? Clearly distinguishing between them. The demon possessed and the epileptics. Right? And the paralytics, and he healed them. Whatever they needed, he saw it. Whether it was in the spiritual realm or the physical realm, he saw it and fixed it. Do you see that? Let me, let, me, let me take this a step further. 
we're the ones that are making this huge break between the spiritual and the natural. Why? You know why? Because we're really good at seeing with the three cones and we barely see with that fourth one. And we don't see how the fourth one is a color and a hue that's in everything. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Watch this. Healing is simply God restoring what he made and intended. This is the garden. See that? In the garden, there's no going down because there is no corruption. There's no death. There's no disease. There's nothing that's going to go down. It's going to take you down, right? Okay? Nothing going down. Now we fall, and in our corrupted state, we're going down. And we're going ever more down. Why? Because Satan is always, Satan is the king of this world now because we gave it to him in the fall. And he's taking us ever further away from God. Right? I mean, the longer you play with this world, the longer that you, it, it is about this world and not about God, the further from God you'll get. So that's what that's representing. So now what's a healing? Because here's how we think of healings. We think of the natural state of the world is that there's epileptics and there's diabetics and there's people that are handicapped and there's people that are this and people are that and you get a cold and you get this and everything else, right? But, but here's what I want you to see. When we think of a miracle of healing, what we think of is, oh man, what you got to do is, is, is like, that's, God's got to like do this incredible thing that goes way up here. But what if all a miracle is, a healing is, what if all it is is God simply restoring what he intended to be there in the first place. Does that lower the bar for what a healing is in your mind and your heart? Does that make it easier for you to grasp and say God does heal? And that he wants to heal through me and that instead of him having to do something incredible that's never been done before, he's simply restoring things to the way he intended to be in the first place, meaning that the reason why we're corrupted, the reason why there's death and disease and decay in the world is because the world is a fallen place that is under the sway of Satan, which is to say that every single disease has some hue of fallenness in it, some hue of satanic activity in it. You do realize that when Jesus is doing things like healing, we call him the demon-possessed boy, but you remember he said he delivered him from a demon and he healed him. Now, I don't know. I, see, I don't want to make too much of a thing about that because I don't want us to begin se separating out. But I want to say, what Jesus saw was there was a hue in this boy about a demon possession. And he needed healing. But he needed deliverance. So he got delivered and he got healed. And I want to, I want to start doing this. I want to say, rather than make them to, you know, this is healing and this is possession, I want us to start seeing that these things that we do are much more all tied in together with things. Read Smith Wigglesworth. There's so many people out that have done healings and the vast majority of people that you'll find, even in, you know, the 1950s or 1900s or 1800s, the vast majority of them, actually, it's pretty problematic when you get in their histories about their healings. It is. Not to say that there weren't validated healings, but it's pretty problematic. But Smith Wigglesworth was very, 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 very careful. And I just want to lift him up as somebody that you can reliably, if you want to know somebody who moved in a lot of healings, read. And here's what you'll see Smith Wigglesworth doing. Everything. Sometimes he's rebuking a demon in a place we would have never seen one. Sometimes he's just saying, get up and walk. Sometimes he's literally dragging somebody across the stage. Sometimes he's, he's just doing, you know what he's doing? Whatever God tells him to do. Because as he's exercised that fourth cone, he's gotten really good at seeing what God wants to do, and then he just does it. 
And the more that he just does whatever God wants him to do, the more that he's inclined to do it the next time because it worked the last time. And it was incredible in terms of blessing that person. And it was incredible for him too. That's what faithless and corrupt is all about. Can we now identify ourselves as faithless and corrupt people? Can we? Would you do that with me? Because I can tell you as I read this, as I learn from it, as I let the Holy Spirit teach me in this, I've learned that I'm a faithless and corrupt person. That I'm corrupted. I don't really see through that fourth lens, and I, that fourth cone, and I need to start getting better at it. But now I just need to take it to, remember I said this is a pretty difficult thing that he said to him? How long must I be with you and put up with you? How long? If he's told me that I'm faithless and corrupt, he's also telling me how long must I put up with you. And, and here's, let me, let me, I think, explain what I think he means by this. Because remember, like I said already, later on when he's gone, he said the Holy Spirit's going to bring back everything I said to you. And you're now going to understand it properly. Because here's what the problem was. We see what we think is going to happen. We have an understanding of what's supposed to happen how our life is supposed to go. And what God is doing is, is he's saying, it isn't going to work out the way that you think. And I'd like to get you prepared for what you don't see. Because that's what you're going to need. See it? You're getting yourself prepared. Doug, Doug's excellent thing. You know, I saw what I needed to do, and I disciplined myself, and I did this, and I did this. And I, you see what I mean? I, I, and I, there's a certain amount of that that goes on in life, right? You work yourself, and then that thing happens. And that's a sow and reap, right? But again, like I say, is there anybody in here that you can take a step back from your life and look at the whole flow of your life and say, yep, saw all that coming? Anybody? Here's what we're all filled with, and the older you get, the more you're filled with it. Wow, I wish I'd have seen that. <laughs> in fact, when you really start understanding what's really being said there is, is, I wish I'd have paid more attention to what God was leading me to do because while I was busy doing my plans, he was trying to get me to do his, and I did more of mine than his, and I wasn't properly prepared for what I experienced. And if I'd have stopped and really started seeing with that fourth cone more clearly, more deeply, more richly, there's things that he was telling me to do that I didn't want to do, and so I didn't do them. And now I need them. Now understand, our graceful God will help you and cover you there too, but do understand that that comes at a cost. There's a thing that happens in us. Okay? So it's not, we're never leaving God's grace, but we are in a place where he's holding us accountable because he's trying to help us. And we either participate in his help of us and get there, or we don't participate and don't get there. One or the other. Either way, he'll still work with you. But one way's a lot harder than the other. And I stand here before you at the beginning of 2015, and I ask you, I beg you, I plead with you as friends and people that I love, be the people that go where he's telling you to go and do what he's telling you to do, because he's going to take you someplace that's going to get you prepared for what's coming. And I'm not, I don't even have to go to doomsday about the world about what's coming. I can go there, because that may be, in fact, what's going to happen. But I don't have to go there for this argument. All I have to say is, just have your life work out in a certain fashion. You need to be there. 
because God wants to touch people through you. The way that he says it, in fact, is, is that he says, look, the person who trusts me, how does this start? What's the first condition? The person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things. Because I, on my way to the Father, am giving you the same work to do that I've been doing. You can count on it. You're going to be doing the same things that I was doing. Do you want that? Let's be clear. Let's always be honest with God. Yes and no. Yes, I want that. There's something in my spirit that goes, yes, 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 yes. And there's something in my flesh that says, but I like this. Right? Like that famous scene in The Jerk, you know, when he's leaving the, when he's leaving the house. Also, I don't need anything in this world except this lamp. This is a nice lamp. I don't need anything but this chair. That's a really nice chair. And by the time he gets out of the house, his hands are full of junk again. Right? We're going to do something. We're going to do an exercise right now. We're going to take a couple minutes, and we're going to do something I think is going to set us up right for 2015. So I need you to do it. There's pieces of paper on your chair, and there's a pen in front of you. And here's what I want you to do. On this piece of paper, at the very top of the piece of paper, I want you to write, My Faith Journey 2015, because you're going to write a few things on here now. And hopefully you can write more things as the year goes on. But start it. My Faith Journey 2015. Please, everybody do this. Because we're going to actually have a discussion about this in a moment. So I need you to do this, okay? Um, could somebody come up and just give me a little background while we're doing this prayer time? Thank you. Okay? Now, what I want you to do is I want you to pray. And here's what I want you to pray. Lord, what would it take for you to increase my faith this year? See, you don't know what's coming in your year, but he does. So ask him right now, what would it take for me to increase in faith this year? What would it take? What would need to happen? Would I need to see an epileptic healed? Would I need to see a demon-possessed boy delivered? Would I need to see uh, what? You know, what would it take? Now this is not, by the way, watch this. This is not what you think it's going to take to increase your faith. I'm asking you to ask the Lord What's it going to take for you to increase my faith this year? Because he knows that. And let him speak some things into your heart. And after we get done with this little, we're going to do this about three or four minutes. We're going to have a, about a five, ten minute discussion about what the Lord told you. So write those things down. See what I mean? I was praying and the Lord said, this is what it would take for me to build in faith this year. What's it going to take? What's he need to do? Spend a moment with him.
the way, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, this is a great exercise for you to be doing too because he's still got you on a journey whether you know it or not. So what would it take? There's more time that we could take on this, but we're going to go ahead and head into a discussion. Now, here's what we're going to be doing, two things. One, if you hear something in this discussion that you go, yeah, that would help me, write it down. <laughs> the other thing we're doing is that John Iwasaki is capturing the thoughts that come out of this conversation because I'm expecting that the things that he's telling you individually, some of those are going to be stuff that he's telling our whole body that we need to be moving into, that we need to be expectant of, that we need to be ready for and getting ready for and letting him getting us ready for it. So raise your hands if you've got something that you'd like to share about what you felt. And, and, and I always say this, but let me continue to say it. If you raise your hand a lot, thank you for waiting for others to raise theirs because they're just waiting for you to raise their hand so that they don't have to talk. And we need to hear from them too. If you're an introvert, we really need to hear from you. I know how hard it is for you to talk in this setting, but you know, you tend to be very thoughtful and the stuff that you have is incredibly important. So I'm really encouraging you. If you don't like to talk in front of people, well, you're with your family, okay? So speak to us. Tell us what Lord has said to you. So go ahead, raise your hand if you wanna, if you wanna share something, okay? Right here. He's getting you a microphone. I didn't see. Did you raise your hand too? Okay, good. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. Emmanuel, God with us. We say we are the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ doing in this situation? Yeah. What is Jesus, what does God want to do in this situation? Amen. Whatever it and is. And always be asking that. Amen. Amen. Go ahead. Let's go to Larry. And then go back towards Chris, unless you go ahead, have somebody. Okay. Well, Sandy Campbell wants you, and then we'll go to Chris. So I, ahead, I heard him say, um, overcome your fear and be courageous. And to overcome my fear, I have to recognize it. And to be courageous, I have to practice courage. Now, that, that totally fits in with one of the ones that I got, which was opportunities. One of the things that has to happen for me to take the journey that he's taking, the same thing that you said, Larry, was opportunities, places that I'm not comfortable that are going to stretch me, right? Okay, go ahead, Sandy, and then Chris roll right down the center aisle. Basically, it was the same, but um, he said, I am the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow because I'm not going to do anything different next this year than I did last year, yeah. but to give you opportunities to trust me, Amen. and that will increase your faith. Amen. Amen. We'll come to you next, Hannah. Go ahead, Chris. Stand up. 
Yeah, um, I've actually been thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, but the first thing I wrote down was fasting. Um, that's great. And so that's been on my mind, so I wanted to mm -hmm. share that. I, I did write down some other things, and the fourth one was kind of similar. It's leaning on him, um, which is a big part of your fasting. That's <laughs> what you have to do. So those are my contributions to your... That actually is a perfect segue into what's coming next week. The Lord gave this sermon to me in two parts. And so next week we're going to be talking about prayer and fasting and what this does. So where are we? Okay, Hannah, go ahead. Good morning. So for me there were several things. Um, one of them, though, kind of leads to the other. And one is um, kind of what you've, you and Serenity have been talking about is slowing down so I could hear him more because there's been a recent point in my life where I, you know, went from being like a speeding bullet train to just, you know, emergency brakes on, completely stopped. And I could hear him and see him in everything. And when I was brave enough to act on it, I realized that he always um, showed up and made it successful. And I ended up with many testimonies. So the second part of that, which is the key point why I raised my hand, was to really share my testimonies because I think that Good. grows my own faith in that. Um, it reminds me, and the times that I've done that with people, it's so powerful in moving other people and encouraging other people. Um, it's more powerful than I ever realized it would be. That's just great. Uh, I need you to know that we're already, as a, as a staff, we're always working on what the Lord is trying to do next. And one of the things that we've really been praying a lot about is, is how to get some testimonies back into Sunday morning in a way that really works. You've seen in some churches testimonies before, and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And we've been working on that. So pray for that, would you? Because I think hearing that makes me go, yeah. Uh, do you see right here? Thank you. Okay. One of the things I think the Lord has been speaking to me over, it's been about um, two years, I think, is that when we know how much he loves us, yeah. our confidence goes up in him. Yeah. And when our confidence goes up in him, our faith goes up. Yeah. And so if we spend that time, if we slow down and we're spending time with him and resting in him and just, just enjoying him, the knowledge of his love increases our faith. I agree. I agree. That, that slowing down, that's a real theme, isn't it? That thing of take the time because these other things, you got to see them. Go ahead, Becky. Um, so mine was going based on kind of like what Hannah said. Okay. Um, and using your trials and testings. And I got overcoming fear so that the whole world can hear my story. And um, I got First Peter 1, 7. These trials, will, these trials will show that faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Amen. Amen. Is that Larry? Go ahead, Larry. I'm going to stand up, Larry. Everybody, I want everybody to see you because I'm hoping that if somebody says something that you need to talk to them, Go over and talk to him at the end of the service. Thank you. We'll do Pat next. Go ahead. Okay, well, there was, there was more on uh, overcoming fear. Um, the first was don't isolate in times of trial. So to me, wow. that means, you know, let people know what's going on wow. and listen to what other people are saying about their own trials. That's good. And uh, the 
third thing was expect more. And the fourth was trust more. Amen. Amen. Love all those. Patricia, thank you. So <clears throat> I'm a cellist, and sometimes I don't like to practice. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of hard to get there. But if I have a performance coming up, I'm really motivated. And I get, I get it out, and I practice, and I do it. And so if I put those things ahead of me, I know I'm going to practice because yeah. I know I'm toast if I don't. Yeah. So in the same way, in the spirit with me, if I make a plan where I have to hear the Lord, I know it's coming. Wow. And... I'm more likely to prep for it. If I don't have anything on the horizon where I go, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. then I'm less likely to do the prep that's required. It's like you. You yeah. have to preach. And so you prep for it because if you don't, you're toast. And that drives, that, that helps us grow. That's right. You know, that's a really good one. If anybody has an insight on how we could do that in a way that wasn't artificial. Like we could say, we're in six months from now, we're going to go do a healing thing. We could say that. Maybe that's exactly what God would have us say. So it would be prepping for a time when we went out and prayed for healing for people. Maybe that's it. But I don't want to do anything artificial. I want to do something as led by Him. But I really like that idea. That spirit is exactly right. So if you have an idea, email me or send it in, do whatever. But, but let us know, what if we did this? And we'll pray over all these things. We'll all pray over these things. I might send it out to everybody, whatever. But we'll do this as a family again, and we'll walk on this journey of trying to figure out how God would prepare us all also. So go ahead. Who is, where are we here? Um, I just got three simple words. Good. Uh, they all kind of had, like, little question marks floating behind them, though. It's just uh, hearing, actions, and seeing. And then I got a nice mental image of some fluffy clouds on a bright sunny day, and they're kind of just moving in the sky, and there's some light coming through them. I have to tell you guys, Amber, sometimes when I'm preaching, Amber will get a thought, a vision of something, and she'll draw it out for me, and then she gives it to me afterwards. That's some of the most precious things I get. They're just so cool. I did, I, there was a black hole one that I did a little while back, and she drew this black hole thing in this little, it was not a cartoon, but it was like this commentary about it. It was incredible. So uh, let's see one or two more, and then we're done. Okay. All right. There you go. What? Okay. After that, then. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Uh, I also sort of got a message of preparation, but um, in particular, sort of cleaning away some things that were yeah. obscuring my vision, I guess. Uh, yes. Sort of the mental image I got was someone preparing to go on a trip, and they had a really dirty car. <laughs> And they were wiping it down, so like you couldn't even see through the windshield. It was sort of dirty. Um, and I feel like a lot of times that's how life is for me. I'm like, oh, well, there's all this other stuff. And I can I prepare for that stuff, but I don't prepare for what God has yeah. for me. And, and the other stuff actually ends up getting in the way of what God has for yeah. me. So. Phenomenal. That's great. Noah? Uh, for me, it's... Uh, both A and B are together. Um, what would it take uh, for him to increase my faith as well as teach me to see more clearly? My dedication at this point, my diligence is in, instead of me getting to all the privileges that he's given to me 
throughout the day is to sit down and make sure that I communicate with him. And I'm reading right around like five chapters a day and just being in the word. Yeah. And that's what makes my day kick off. So in order for him to talk to me, I need to be out of the cell phone, out of the life, Amen. out of, you know, unplugged and plugged into Amen. Him. So, Amen. Devotionals. If you want a great way to do it, so go ahead. So it didn't go away. Uh, I just wrote down to see miracles, really. And uh, part of B, I guess, would be to recognize what a miracle is and when they occur. And to be sensitive to the needs of others, not to be overwhelmed by emotions, not to fear what I will lose in the process. Yeah. Now, if there's anybody else that really needs to say something, let's do it. Let's go to John. But I'm, we're closing her down now. So if you really need to say something, I want to get to that. Art and then John. Then we'll quit unless somebody else, if you really feel like you need to say something, keep your hand up. Go ahead, Art. Um, yeah, I'm Art. Um, I have a thousand ways to convince myself of a lot of things, but it really comes down to obedience. I will see more clearly when I do what he tells me to do. Could you say that again? I didn't quite hear it. Says, I will see more clearly when I do what he tells me to do. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, John. Yeah, sure. Faith comes by hearing, not having heard. That's, right. <laughs> That's awesome. Here's, here's the one that I wrote down, and I, this was a surprise to me. I wrote down, and I said, Lord, what are you telling me would need to increase my faith this year? And listen to this. Your persistence, his persistence, despite me not necessarily wanting this on some level in my life, his persistence to keep me moving that direction. And so what I wrote down is, I choose that your will will be done this year, not mine. That's what my choice is. And I'll make choices all throughout the year to go my way. But what I'm asking him to do is, is to persist in pressing, in getting me to know what his will is and to help me to choose it. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, this family comes before you at this important time. We don't, these are not, you know, in your Bible you set the yearly calendar. That's why we have one. And you set it in a way that you wanted us at certain times of the year to do certain kinds of things. And so on this important first Sunday of the year, we do look forward with expectation, with anticipation. We look forward prophetically. And we allow you to speak to us and to start to show us what it is that you want to do that we might be oriented towards you this year ever less towards ourselves, ever more towards you. Get us there, Lord. Get us there in you. And in order to seal this in front of you is communion. And there's two cups there. And in the bottom cup is bread, and in the upper cup is the, is the wine. And take that bottom cup. And just in prayer with me, just lift up that bottom cup unto him and just say, Lord, in going my own way, I have uh, become a threefold seer, not a fourfold. I have not been a tetrachrome. I've seen what the world wanted me to see, and it's clogged it up for me to see what you are, what you're doing, 
the hues that you've painted into every single part of my life, every single part of reality, the places where you are. And I've chased the world enough that it's gotten clogged over. And I realize in so doing that I have broken myself. I've be been, become corrupted. And so I take my finger and I put it down into this bread and I break it. Saying, God, I recognize that my life has become broken through my own choices. And I want to thank you, Jesus, for going on the cross and taking all of that upon yourself. Every choice, every consequence that comes from that choice, you took all of that and you took it to the cross for me. And then you took it to the grave to bury it forever. So with that understanding, we lift this cup in which is your body and we take it together saying, thank you, God, for taking these things from me, the things which I am owed, the things which I deserve. Thank you that you took them upon yourself. This is a perfect time, if you do not know the Lord, to come to him right now and to say, take these things from me, all these things, all these places where I have not done the fullness. I've not done even what my own conscience was telling me to do, and I've missed it. I take all those things and I put them on Christ who gladly takes them from me in order to heal me. So take this cup together. Thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, we lift this cup in which is your blood, which is to say the life is in the blood, which is to say that there is a life that you have that is glorious and spectacular, that is surpassing in every way. And that in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, that you would make this life mine this year. Your will be done, not mine. Your life be done, not mine. Take this cup together and say, your will be done, your life be done in me.